Lord God, I ask you for ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive what you have for me this morning. In Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Amen. All right, would you turn in your Bible over to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. We're going to talk a little bit about a man by the name of Asa. Asa was one of the kings of Judah. And Asa was interesting because it says in verse 2 of chapter 14 that Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. How did he do that? Well, it goes on to say in verse 3 that he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to observe the law and the commandments. So in essence, he tore down all of the high places that were erected during Rehoboam's reign. Rehoboam was the the son of Solomon. And Rehoboam was, uh, he started out good, But then in chapter 12, verse 1, it talks about how he departed from God and he went the opposite direction and they erected these things. But how many of you know that's what sanctification looks like? It looks like tearing down the high places and allowing God in. In essence, nothing, I can't worship anything else in my life except him, him and him only. And in fact, like a couple weeks ago, I had this encounter because this is a you know, this is a, a regular practice in life, but, but uh, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, I was alone in the house, and it was evening, everybody was gone for some reason, and so I decided to rent a movie, so I rented a movie, I put it in, and I started, and the universal thing was sweeping out, and the music is playing, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, would you be willing to turn that off and just spend time with me tonight? I said, yes, sir, I would, and I shut it off, and, and it, it, it was so exciting to me to, that, one, that he would ask, but secondly, that I could set this aside, because I grew up in a movie-watching family. You know, my dad, um, he, was, he was a movie buff. Nicole and I used to go down on Friday nights to his house, and we would look for a movie to rent from him because he had a whole stockpile back in VHS days. And he could tell you the actors, the name of the movie, the plot, you know, and so we didn't even have to do any research. We would just say, Dad, do you have anything new? <laughs> you know, and he would tell us about it. But how many of you know it becomes a problem when I can't set things to the side when things come into that high place that I'm not willing to lay that down to allow him there, to place him there as a priority. And so this in essence is what Asa did. So the result is in verse six. Look at what happened when he brought the high places down. It says that the Lord gave him rest. Doesn't that just sound peaceful, restful? that God gave him rest. And that's the result when the high places are brought down. See, Asa got rid of everything else that he could potentially worship. We have idols that look different today. I was on uh, YouTube yesterday. I, I, I normally, I've, I was working up to lunchtime and then when I, I went and got, made my smoothie for lunch and I went back in my office and I thought, I'm gonna pull up on YouTube and see... See what the, you know, latest 
information is. And, and so anyway, there was a 1984 Michael uh, Jordan's first game against uh, uh, Magic Johnson and the LA Lakers. And I thought, oh, this would be fun to see, you know. So I just started to watch a little bit of it. And, and then I heard the commentator come on. And really nothing happened in the first, I only watched like the first two minutes of the game. Nothing really happened until Michael had this moment where he had a breakaway and he beat a guy to the basket and he just did a layup. Well, those of you that are familiar with Michael Jackson, he had some pretty good hang time. He could get really high, you know. And so he, you know, he, he jumped like he normally does and he flew to the bucket and, you know, and made this layup. Well, that was not the amazing part to me or what stood out to me. It was the commentators that just, they kept playing this over. You saw it four times and they talked about how amazing he was and how much height he had. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. God can palm the earth. (laughs) Wait a minute. Okay. But I mean, you see, we have these idols that don't look like the idols because it doesn't stand in the corner and we don't burn incense to it. We don't think we have idols in our life. And the devil is so deceptive in in how he maneuvers. And so he creates opportunities to try and sneak things into that high place where you begin to talk about them one way, but you don't talk about God that way. In this Presbyterian church, okay. Yeah, so he makes... What Asa does is he places God in that high place and he makes him his one thing. And so rest comes. Now, how many of you know rest doesn't mean that you won't experience attacks? It doesn't. So here's what happened in Chronicles 14. Look at verse 8. It says that Asa had an army of, basically, I'm going to skip forward. He had an army of 580,000 men, valiant men. Okay, and so then Zira, an Ethiopian, came out against him with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. Now, my math is a little rusty, but that's a whole lot more. Okay, so Asa went out against him and he set the troops in battle array. And Asa cries out to the Lord in verse 11 and listen to what he says. He says, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether by many or for those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. I want you to pay attention to that word rest this morning. We rest on you. And in your name, we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So look what happened, verse 12. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And how many of you know when when people, when you see people, when you see your enemy flee, you chase them. And so they chased them, and they chased them for 20 miles on foot all the way down to Gerar. Man, that's a long way to go on, on 20 miles by foot. And so they're killing these guys, and they are fleeing before them. And what happened was they experienced this great victory that day because Asa put his confident rest in God. Notice what I said. He said that our rest is on you. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I feel like this is a word of the Lord for some people here, confident rest. So he put his confident rest in God. And I want you to notice this. Remember when he prayed, when he said this prayer to him, God did not respond to him verbally. 
He didn't respond to him. How many times has that been the case for you? Have you cried out to God, asked for help? You've got a situation, a circumstance, something going on in your life, and you cry out to God, and he doesn't respond to you verbally. It doesn't mean he's not listening. I saw a lot of times, I mean, if Jesus is God, because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? And how many times did people ask him a question and he didn't respond? He knelt down and he dug in the dirt. He drew (laughs) in the dirt. He didn't respond or he asks a question that has nothing to do with what they're even talking about. But yet it does. And so notice that he doesn't respond to Asa. See, people, people who don't hear an answer, and they step out of rest and they step into anxiety. And so here's Asa. He comes out and he meets this million-man army. He's got his army set in array. But how many of you know 580,000 is a lot less than a million plus? And man, they must have been dispersed and that must have looked pretty intimidating. Remember the old cowboy movies when all the Indians would come up over the horizon and you'd be like, ah, you know, it's like, what are we going to do? You know, this is Asa. This is where he at. He cries out to the Lord. The Lord doesn't respond. But what happens is he didn't get, allow himself to get into anxiety. He rested confidently in God. And look at what God did. God caused this great victory to happen. And when that victory happened, they chased them for 20 miles and it says that they brought back much spoil. Everybody say much spoil. Much, I mean, I'm talking thousands of camels, thousands of donkeys, thousands of sheep. They bring all of this back, not to mention gold, silver, clothing, whatever else that they came back with. But let me ask you a question. What can happen when people experience victory in their life many times? They, let, me help, let me help you with the answer too, is you can begin to coast on the fact that you had a victory. If you're in a boat and you're going across the lake at 40 miles an hour and you shut the engine off, what happens? You, you keep going, don't you? For a while. But then what happens? You begin to drift with it, whichever way the, the, the waves take you, right? And you wind up where the waves want you to be. You wind up with the majority, okay, so we can't coast on success, can we? So look at what happens in Second Chronicles, and now in 15, verse 1. It says, now the spirit of the Lord came upon Azariah, son of Obed, and he went out and he met Asa and he said to him, hear me, Asa and all you Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. The Lord is with you while you are with him. He said, uh, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So what he's doing is he's giving them a warning to not allow this victory to become their defeat. Don't allow victory to become your defeat. Remember Israel, they had this great, victory at Jericho. They've come out of Egypt. They've experienced 40 years in the wilderness. They come across into the promised land and their first city is Jericho and God gives them this amazing plan 
a plan that only God could make happen. And they had this tremendous victory over Jericho. Then what happens? They don't even consult with God. Well, we got this. We don't, we know what we're doing now. We had victory back here at Jericho. I had victory in my life. And so they didn't seek God. What happened? They sent 3,500 to 4,000 men down to AI and AI came out and ate their lunch. Killed 28 of them, sent them home crying to their mama and they got back and they laid before the Lord all day long in sackcloth and ashes. And the Lord finally said to Joshua, he said, what are you doing? He said, Israel has sinned. If you you had even asked me, I would have told you. But he didn't ask the Lord. Well, we have a similar situation here. Look in chapter 16, verse 1. It says that then Basha, king of Israel, comes out against Judah. And uh, he's not going to allow anyone to go in and out of the city is his plan. And then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasury of the house of the Lord and the king's house. And he sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, saying, let there be a treaty between me and you, just like there was between our fathers. Break your treaty with Basha so that he will withdraw from me. So then, at that time, a seer comes. Now, this is a different guy. This is Hanani, or uh, Hanani, the seer. So seer is the same word as prophet in the Old Testament. So here he comes, and he comes to the king of Judah, and he says to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the, Ethi- were the Ethiopians not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, because you relied on the Lord, do I need to say it again? <laughs> he delivered them into your hand. For the eye of the Lord runs to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking right now for loyal hearts. I believe in this church, he's found a lot of loyal hearts. People, that's my hope and that's my prayer is that, that we, ha- we are the kind of people uh, that God, God looks at our heart and he goes, man, that's a loyal heart. I'm gonna show myself strong on his behalf. So there's two parts to this. There's his part and there's our part. So, so our responsibility is have the loyal heart. You remember when Samuel was anointing, he went to anoint uh, Jesse's, one of Jesse's sons as king and they started marching him through. There's seven sons marching him through. He couldn't find one that he could anoint. He, could, he wanted to anoint the first one. Samuel did and God said, no, no, no. Don't look at the outward appearance. Don't look at the outward appearance because he said, I don't see the same way man does. I look at the heart. Oh, thank God he looks at the heart. We can't see a man's heart, but God can. So what was his response to this seer? Because God brings an opportunity for him to repent, an opportunity for him to get things right, an opportunity for him to change, and what does he do? Asa has the seer thrown in prison. That's a good idea. Throw the prophet in prison. (laughs) 
And then what happens in, in verse 12, it says, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and it was severe. And in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now I want you to know, I'm not against physicians. I'm a, I am for both. Seek the Lord and go see a physician if you need to see one. <laughs> you know, anything that you do, you want to do in faith because anything that's not a faith is sin. So I want to do both, right? So, so this is very interesting because in, in this, in all of this, God is talking about this rest. He's talking about this rest, which we saw that Asa was in this rest, but then he abandoned the rest and he started to do things his own way. He started to rely on his own ability, on the treasure that he had, on Ben-Hadad, you know, on other things. Sometimes, sometimes it's easier to rely on that than it is to stand in faith. One thing I've learned about faith in my own life is that God always wants to take you higher. Yes. He always wants to take you where you've never been. You think that you were uncomfortable before, he takes you to a higher level, a higher place of uncomfortability. Why? Because he's your comforter. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. That's his job. He wants to help you be comfortable in this higher level of faith. It is a confident rest that we're to enter. So, so the psalmist talks about this rest. And I want you to turn over there in Psalms 95. Look with me in Psalms 95. Let's see if you can get there first. It's no fair if you have digital. I'm talking to the people that actually have Bibles. Does, does anyone in here not have a Bible? If that's you, do you not have a Bible? Is there anybody in here that does not have a Bible? No? Okay, great. I was gonna give you one if you raise your hand. All right, look at verse seven. Psalm 95, verse seven says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion as in the day of trial in the wilderness when the fathers tested me, your fathers tested me. They tried me though they saw my work for 40 years. I was grieved with this generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. There's two types of rest, two times of rest, I should say, that God talks about in the Bible. This first rest was for the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, representing the old life, the bondage that they were in. They were freed from that. And this first rest was a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a place where you will move into and you won't have to move again. I'm telling you, when we moved in here, we were excited. We did not have to move again for now. Praise God. <laughs> but I mean, we could set up and we could stay up. By the way, I meant to mention Steve built this cross. By the way, we're so, so thankful for that. But but we got to move in and those of you like Steve and other, many of the rest of you that helped us set up and show up at 7 a.m. in the morning and pull out the sound equipment and plug things in and get things set so that we can minister to people. So you're welcome. Yeah. 
We love you. All right, so, so let me get back. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm digressing. Let me get back. First one, promised land. Second rest that he is talking about is confident faith. Confident faith. Turn over to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four. I bet you I can beat you. Oh, you're there already. Man, stink, I didn't. Thanks. It's just my pages were sticking together. That's what it was. Okay. Hebrews 4. Look at verse 1. And I'm going to read it to you. Um, This is the Passion Translation. Now, God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. He has offered this to you. Verse 2. For we have heard the good news of the deliverance just as they did, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe, this is a powerful statement, pay attention to these next few words. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise. What activates the promise? Faith. I'm gonna throw in patience in there as well. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. And we experience the realm of confident rest. There's your patience. We experience the realm of confident rest. What what is confident rest? Look at verse six, and it will help define it a little clearer. In verse six, it says, those who first heard the good news of the deliverance failed to enter into the realm of faith's rest because of their unbelieving hearts. So there's a realm of faith that we can experience confident rest in. There's a realm of faith that we experience. See, in scripture, when you read the Bible as a Christian, you've given your life to the Lord. One of the things that that God taught me and that Nicole and I learned in and throughout, and I learned on my own before we even got married, and she did too, I know, um, was to read the Bible in such a way that you look for what you can do in it. Because faith without works are dead. Well, what kind of works do you need? What the Bible says. Because sometimes we can run out and just do things on our own, you know? And so I had to begin to read scripture from a different mindset of I was looking for things that I could do. For instance, tithing. I, I, I read about tithing in Malachi and I read about it in other places and I saw it all throughout scripture. And I, and I said, man, I need to tithe 10% into my church because the church is the storehouse. The tithe was brought to the temple. Now, you know what some people do is they'll take the tithe and they'll give it to a person in need and call it tithing. But see, there's a problem because there's another scripture over in Proverbs that says if I give alms to the poor and I, and I use that to give my tithe to or I give it to an organization that helps the poor because you can put it in different contexts. So now I'm changing the exchange rate. We've been to the Dominican many times and, um, and so we do the exchange with the money. Now, what if they gave me dollar for dollar, peso for dollar? Would that be a fair exchange? Daniel's shaking his head no, because he understands. He's from Mexico. Same, same deal, you know? Because why? Because the dollar's worth more than the peso. 
you know, as it sits today. That's why we vote. But I, I'm just, we, we want to go up. We don't want to go back. All right. You guys, sorry. All right. So, so here's my point. If, if you're taking your tithe and you're giving it instead as an alm and you're calling it a tithe, then you've changed the exchange rate because in a tithe, the promise of the tithe is that you will, uh, God will open the windows of heaven. He will rebuke the devourer for your sake. You'll no, no, no longer have holes in your pockets. When you put your money in there, it won't fall out. You know, I mean, so you have promises attached to the tithe. You know what the almsgiving is? You know what that exchange rate is? One for one. If you give to the poor, I will pay you back. One for one. So you see what I mean? So I began to look at, this is why it's important for you to read, study this thing out for yourself. Don't just take my word for it, right? And so this is the, this is the importance of scripture. So, so this rest that we enter is a rest where it's important that we know what the promises of God are and that they're available to us that they belong to us. They're a part of our inheritance as a Christian. All right, so he made reference to this situation over in actually Numbers 13. You don't have to turn there because I'm gonna talk to you about it here for a moment. But the Israelites, they've come out of the promise, they've come out of Egypt. And so now here they are and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And so Moses by the instruction of the Lord, he sends a man from each one, a leader of each one of the tribes to go in and to spy out the land. He says, search out the land, see what's there, see what it looks like and bring a report back. So they go and do that. They come back to Moses and they, and they have this to say to Moses. They said, we went to the land where you sent us and truly it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a very good land. But, everybody say but. There's always a but attached to unbelief and doubt. There always is. I know God heals, but. I know God's promises are for today, but Phil, you don't know my situation. Yeah, there was just a but. Hmm. Buts are what kept Israel out of the promised land. Because they came back. Okay, stick with me. Don't get... I'm not trying to be funny, although it is funny. All right, but here's what the people said. But the people living there are powerful. The cities are very large. They're strongly defended. And we even saw the giants there. The children of Anak are there. They came back and they brought a bad report. What's their problem? The but is the problem to having confident rest in faith. So what, is, what happens? Caleb speaks to the people and he told the ones that were standing by Moses, he said, be quiet. In other words, you could say it a different way. <laughs> Close your pie hole. Shut the door to your face. Right? Why? Do you know, whenever you're in a position where, you, where you're struggling in your faith, that's the best time to be quiet. When you don't believe, you're tempted to say it, it's a great time 
to be quiet. And this is what Caleb said. He said, let us go up at once. Let us go up now and possess it. We are well able to overcome it. Caleb spoke faith. He, why, how do you speak faith? You speak what God said. But you know what we do? We speak the report we heard. We speak how we're feeling. We speak what we're mad about. We speak all the wise. We, we, we put a butt right here and then everything behind it that we want to say till we get it off of our chest. Oh, it's not good. It's not good. See, 10 spies were moved by what they saw. Two were moved by what God said. Caleb was moved by what God said. Oh, that's good. That's good. Because I've noticed that people have a tendency to flow with the majority. The 10 were the majority. You know, remember COVID? I don't have to say much more, do I? <laughs> Just it was a bunch of people going with, the, going with the majority. So that faith, the faith word here in the Greek it used here is pistis. And it entails believing in the promises of God. Mm. When we look at faith, many Christians are not at rest. Do you know what a really good indicator is that whether or not your faith is working, whether or not you're at rest, whether or not you're experiencing anxiety, worry, concern, fret over a situation, a circumstance, that, that's your indicator right there that you're not in faith. Well, how do I know that? Well, you remember when the disciples were on the boat and they were going across the sea and Jesus is asleep in the boat and this huge storm rolls in and the disciples are fighting now for their lives because the boat is beginning to fill with water and they're trying to get the water out and they're not getting it out fast enough. And so they finally run over to Jesus and they say, don't you care that we are perishing? And what does Jesus do? He gets up, he points or he looks. I, I don't know what he did, but he, but he sees the waves and the storm and he rebukes them. And he says, peace, be still. And it, there was instantly, there was a calm. And what did Jesus say? He said, there you go, guys. I'm going back to bed. No, that's not what he did. He said, guys, where is your faith? Where is your faith? You know what he could be? He's also saying, where is your confident rest? How come you had to wake me up? And have me come do this. Why didn't you do it? Why didn't you stand up and point? At the, I, I had this happen to me. That we, had, we used to have a, uh, what was Reese? Uh, Airedale Terrier. And he's like, we have, a, we have a Wirefox Terrier now. But he was like the big size of the Terrier group, you know, the Airedale. And man, he was gorgeous. We called him Reese because he looked like a Reese peanut butter cup. He was brown and black and just beautiful. And uh, anyway... He never got on her bed because he was just too big. And uh, we, were, we had a queen, queen size back then. Thank God we have been promoted to king size. Glory to God. <laughs> How many of you married people are with me on that? We just, yeah, we're thankful. So, but anyway, but Reese, Reese was, 
He's, he's like running around and he's panting and he's, and he's in our bedroom and he gets up on the side of the bed and he puts those big old paws like, come on guys, get up, get up. And he's like trying to wake us up. And I wake up and I said, Racy, what's going on? And then that big dog try, is trying to squeeze himself under our bed. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Now, we're, at that time, we're living in Round Rock, Texas, which is just north of Austin, Texas. So if, you, if you've spent any time living in Texas, they get hail. And man, our, the whole back house of our house was windows, the whole thing. We had massive windows. And the hail just starts beating that side of the house. And I said, oh, Jesus. And I run down the stairs and I get in the kitchen and flip the outdoor light on so I can see what's going on. And the Lord reminded me of the boat experience and what he did. And so I pointed at the sky and I said, I speak to you, hail now in Jesus' name. Stop. Oh, I said, peace, be still. That's what I said. P, I was trying to remember. Peace, be still. And it was like somebody turned a water faucet off. I mean, it was, bam, 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 And I just went. And I felt like Macaulay Culkin, you know, in Home Alone. I went, you know, I just, I turned around and went back to bed. But it was like, thank you, God. Thank you. Why didn't you do that? Where is your faith. I'm sorry, Lord, my butt got in the way. Rebecca, could you come help me? But I do, I see so many Christians that are not at rest. They have a language of faith, but they don't have rest. And that's the indicator that they're not truly in faith. When you're anxious, when you're up in arms about something. And see, because rest is something, go, go back over to Hebrews chapter four. Just real quick. This is important. C.S. Lewis said, you are what you believe. And so you, we've got to work on belief here. We've got to work on our faith. And over there in, in, in Hebrews chapter four, Lord, help me find it. Okay, in verse nine, there, thank you, Lord. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Aren't you thankful? There remains a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. This is your responsibility. Don't come to me and ask for prayer for this. I'm gonna say it's your job. It says it right here. Be diligent to enter into that rest. What does it mean to be diligent to enter into that rest? I refuse to receive those, that but thinking, that what if thinking. I refuse to be anxious. If you're anxious, then you're walking in something that God didn't give to you. God said, I have not given you a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of fear, a spirit of worry, concern, fret. He has given you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Many people are not at rest because their mind's not at rest. 
This is why uh, some... That's why some pastors beg for money. It's, it's, it's anxiety. It's fear. We're not going to have. We're not going to have enough, Lord. And so they put pressure on people instead of resting confidently in Him. So I don't. I refuse to be in fear. I told the Lord. I said, God, if this is Your deal then you're the one that called me to do it. You're responsible for the resource. And do you know that we've lacked for nothing? It's been five years, five years. I heard one guy say, he said, I started with nothing and I still have most of that left. (laughs) I went, (laughs) I was like, oh, (laughs) ouch. Uh, Thank God we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live that way. But see, what happens is when you begin to put pressure on people when you're trying to fund it yourself. But see, what I found was I found a scripture in the word that says, what soldier goes to war at his own expense? You know what my responsibility is? It is to be in the perfect will of God, to know that I am where he called me to be. When I am where he called me to be, then there's resource there. Then he's responsible to meet the needs. He's responsible to take care of this thing. So then I can rest confidently in him instead of trying to put pressure on people and figure out ways that we can do different projects and ways that we can get money from people. That would be a pleasant experience, wouldn't it? You guys would appreciate that and come in every week. And I thought we had that project done already. <laughs> well, it came back, you know. Hmm. Man, I, one, one pastor asked me, he said, Phil, I, he said, I, I have a question for you. I said, yeah, man, what's going on? He said, well, <clears throat> he said, uh, their church was a pretty new church and uh, they, were, they were in a situation where they were being funded by another church but the other church said that, uh, the church that was funding them said that, you know, we want you guys to either become a satellite church for us or we want you to go and start your own church. You know, take, take this and you, you just go and do it the way you want to do it. And they said, but here's what we're doing. And, and it was a year plan and it was what I call runway giving in reverse where, where it's, they're going to step them down off of the support little by little. So, you know, 60% down to 40, down to 30, and then, and so, you know, he was getting down to 20% in that ratio. I think he had about maybe a month left of support. And, uh, and he said, I have a question for you. I said, yeah, what's your question? He said, well, here's my question is, <clears throat> he said, I did pledges so that we could estimate what our next year budget is going to be for the church. And and he said, but I noticed that our bigger tithe, our biggest tithers didn't, uh, they didn't pledge anything. And he said, what would you do in my situation? I said, well, <clears throat> I said, first of all, I, I don't know who our biggest tithers are. I said, I don't. I said, that's by design. Now I have, there have been special cases like where somebody gave 
a certain amount that was like way above normal and Nicole made me aware of it or, or one of you told me, but I don't know as a rule. I don't wanna know. <laughs> I don't want that pressure. I don't wanna look, start looking at people as a dollar bill. You know, you got a dollar sign over your head. Oh, hey, you know, I'm going to be real nice, you know, to certain people. Uh, Can you imagine living that way? That's, I mean, you know, you can kind of figure out a little bit, but I don't want to know. And so anyway, I I was telling, I was like, well, I I don't really know what people give. And he said, well, how do you figure your budget? I said, well, based on what comes in. And then once we've made it a year, then we can estimate, you know, what budget is going to look like, but I don't, I don't, man, I don't put the screws to that and really get analytical about uh, that number because I don't need that pressure. Why would I pressure myself? I think sometimes too much information damages your faith. I see people do this in the medical field. They, they know so much about their disease that they have. And so it's difficult for them to get free from it because they, they have more faith in the disease's ability to kill them than, it, than they do in God's ability to free them and heal them, you know? And some people say, I, I heard this recently and uh, Dave and I were talking about this because it was so powerful that this pastor was talking about why people get healed in, in third world countries. When you go to a third world country, if you have medicine that you're required to take because it's medicine that you take, I understand. But I, I wouldn't take ibuprofen or Tylenol or aspirin with you because they're gonna ask you if you have medicine because it's not readily available to them. And they know it helps. They know it can get rid of headaches and it, it helps us. See, we live in a nation where we almost have permission to be sick because we can be comfortable and be sick at the same time. We've made it easy. I mean, we've got all kinds of mechanisms and I, I'm not poo-pooing people that work in the medical field because I don't want to do that. But, but I will say this, we, you know, we've got wheelchairs that make you, give you the ability to function and live a quasi-normal life. And so you don't need to be healed bad enough. You don't want it desperately enough. But see, you go to a a third world country, they are desperate. They realize I will either die or God will heal me. Ah. Well, I hope you got something out of that. I just, I really felt like we just wanted to. We We want to grow faith. We want to be people that, that we go after this thing, that when we see sickness, we get as mad at that as we do when, when we understand that porn is trying to control a person's life, that we get angry over that. It's called spiritual anger. The, the kingdom of God suffers violent, but the violent take it by force, right? And so we speak words of faith. You know, we pray for people. We speak to sickness and command it to go. It has to go. It doesn't have an alternative. Oh, I want to pray for you this morning. I hope I don't come off as angry. I'm not, but I, man, I get, oh, it's not allowed in my house. 
It's not allowed in my kids. Do you know I was told to lie? I know we're going to be sharing about kids in a few weeks, but I was told to lie that every teenager, this, and I'm sure all of us have been sold this bill of goods, that every teenager has to fall away from God and sow wild oats and have this season of life where they just go crazy and then God will somehow bring them back when things get bad enough. And you know what I heard? My pastor, when I was growing up, Pastor Billy Joe Doherty, Tulsa, Victory, I heard him say, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. And he said, he said, who says that teenagers have to sow wild oats? Where is that written in scripture? And when I heard that, it was like a bomb went off in my heart and I just went, wait a minute, really? And we began to pray over our kids. We began to ask the Holy Spirit to show us how to raise our kids in such a way that they will serve God all the days of their life. I'm not saying they weren't attacked because they were. But let me tell you, when you're, when you're in that position, I don't have to go out and buy a shotgun because I know my daughter's not gonna bring home the kind of guy with that. I need a shotgun. I got, I got a gun anyway, but I don't, I don't need it. I don't want to pull it out and polish it in front of my boyfriend and try and intimidate him with something that's not going to work for his life. We'll get, we'll get into that more later, but I, I'm pretty excited. All right, would you bow your heads, close your eyes all around the room? <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. If you're here and you're away from God and you need, you need to get right, you want to get right with him, you say, I, I, I don't want to keep going like this. I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand all around the room if that's you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Also, if you're here and you need healing, you have something going on in your physical body and, and you say, man, I, my faith is stirred and I know God can heal me. If that's you, and you would like healing, would you stand up? I'm gonna ask all of you to stand all, all around. If that's you, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> thank you, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> thank you, Father. Yeah, let's, uh, thank you, Lord. Can we all pray in the Holy Spirit just for a moment? Just stay standing right where you're at. Thank you, Father. Yeah, Daniel, Candace, could you come? Could you come and stand right here with me? Nicole, could you come up over here? <clears throat> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. And then Rebecca, I'm going to invite you to come as well. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm going to ask those of you that are standing, would you come to the front? We just want to agree with you in prayer. We want to lay hands on you. The Bible says these signs will follow those who believe. We will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I'm going to bring you over here, these beautiful ladies. Come over here, ladies. <clears throat> Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Yeah, continue to pray. Come on up, Vlad. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Those of you in the congregation, would you mind praying with us and just 
believe God. Thank you, Lord.